0: Welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast on Penalty Box Radio and today we have a very special edition for you guys. You Nashville folks might know him, you Toronto folks might know him, and by the end of this documentary you need to know him. We've got Rich Clune on the line with us today, a Toronto native drafted by the Dallas Stars in 2005. The guy's been playing pro hockey since the 06-07 season. And you know what? He just came out the Hi My Name is Dickie documentary. It's a must-see. There's a reason it's number one on iTunes for a reason. And joining him is Taylor Prestige. He's the producer. He helped create this masterpiece. Gentlemen, welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. Really excited to have you guys on. When uh, Christian here, we have Christian Marin and Nick Andrade as always. When we had Christian say, hey, I think we can get Rich Clune on the podcast. Nick and I were like, wait, what? We're like, actually, holy shit, <laughs> that, let's do this. <laughs> that was the
2: fastest these guys ever texted me back. And like yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes. But uh, yeah, they got back to me pretty quickly. <laughs> they were very stoked. So thank you. Thank you again, guys, yes. for joining us. Thank yeah, you. No, man, awesome.
1: I, I miss Nashville. I will say that.
0: <laughs> uh, before we dive into the documentary, the Nashville listeners, like when we told our friends in Nashville, they are like, what? You, you have Clune?" We're like, yeah, we yeah. have them. Do you have any favorite memories from Nashville?
1: Oh, I mean, the coffee at Fido is probably one of them. No, but uh, I would say probably the, you know, just something that jumps out of my head right away would be I was talking about this the other day. Um, I did the Spit and Chicklets podcast we recorded the other night, and they asked me about the fan base in Nashville because, you know, clearly now I think the cat's out of the bag that the Nashville Predators fans are, you know, Uh, amongst the best in the league so I just remember playing my first home game and um just the roar of the crowd and how enthusiastic and how much they know about the sport there and it was literally like a dream to play in front of that fan base you know what I mean like they I played on a, like a couple good teams there with some talent, and now it's really nice to see that they've had a couple good playoff runs. But uh, they just have so much heart and passion and support for the players and the team, and the buzz of the city. So I just that's something that sticks out to me.
0: Before you went to Nashville, did you think it was a hockey city at all, or was it just like, oh shit, what's going on? <laughs>
1: I had played. I had played one or two games actually versus the Predators when I was with the Kings, um, and uh, as you can imagine, I introduced myself to Broadway the night before the game, nice. <laughs> which may or may not have been a good decision. You know what? I think I was a. I. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, I had. I had heard, you know. I think. Everyone's pretty familiar what Nashville's known for is the is their country music scene and the music scene in general and I think the the surprising thing to me was getting there and realizing that the the musicians there's all kinds of musicians there. I think you know you hear country music and um, there's a little bit of like you don't really realize just how deep the uh, the music scene runs there and that was my favorite part about Nashville. I'd literally you could go any night of the week to some sort of like obscure hole in the wall and hear the best music you've ever heard in your life. That was my favorite thing to do and then I would you know I don't I was I had this kind of secret hobby of just going to Santa's pub myself and singing karaoke whether I brought a friend or not like guys would come in like I'd have friends come in on the road from other teams and they'd be like let's go to dinner I'd be like okay and in the back of my head I'm like I'm gonna bring them to Santa's pub and uh, (laughs) I'd go in there and they'd give me like the coldest glass of water they could pour and uh, I just rip karaoke so (laughs) They
2: they
3: go-to
1: go-to there's some people yeah. in nashville that would probably be able to cor- corroborate that story like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, singing.
3: He's, a, he's i guarantee you big shiny tunes is uh what you're just rolling through the top of uh big shiny tunes one to six if the i entire catalog
1: <laughs> oh yeah i was educating the nashville folk on on what big shiny tunes is and for in case you don't know it's it's you know canada's version of our Top hits, much music. Anyways, that's another time.
0: <laughs> did you did you have a go to karaoke song?
1: <sighs> I have two. I, I mean, like I'm I'm open to anything. Yeah. I remember what it, Brett Kessel and I sung It was Brett Kessel, myself, and uh, Sophie Simmons, Gene Simmons' daughter. One night we sang. Oh, wow. at <laughs> we 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 like three weighed picture by Sheryl Crow and Kid Rock <laughs> nice. as you can imagine and I, I took the Sheryl Crow um, <laughs> behind. Sophie and Brett did Kid Rock and then uh, but yeah I don't know I'll do anything Rolling Stone, Sympathy for the Devil, Lola by the Kinks that's another nice.
0: one Lola, that's a I crowd pleaser too Lola. yeah yeah
1: I got it actually I did a, a short film out in LA a few years ago and I think I got the part because the director I had met him and we all met at a karaoke bar in la and i sung lola and he was like you got the part
2: I <laughs> that was is so incredible.
0: In <laughs> uh let's dive into the documentary a bit here rich what made you want to create this documentary like go walk us through that first day of i want to make this doc i want to tell my story
1: well i i think I had, you know, a little bit of experience through a couple of written articles and interviews over the years, mainly when I got to Nashville and I was back in the National Hockey League. And obviously, it, when you're playing at that level, you have more of a platform. And then uh, I kind of went quiet for a while. And I had had opportunities. When I moved back to Toronto five years ago, some broadcasters here in Canada approached me about doing the film format. And, um, you know, I just... I wasn't into it at the time. And then uh, just over a year ago, when I met Taylor and Harris and uh, Caitlin, uh, the producer, one of the producers, coincidentally, another broadcaster had approached me and it was just kind of like the same thing. Would you ever want to tell your story in, in, in a film? And um, you know, I, I feel like after 10 years of sobriety, I have a little bit of perspective and I had more self-awareness and um, to be able to just speak from my own experience. So I just explored it. And when I met with uh, Taylor and Harris and the rest of their team, like, you know, truthfully, like I'm like, you know, I'm gonna make some friends out of this for life because they're just unbelievable people. But uh, seeing their previous work is just super talented. And I, I, I just felt right. And then it's turned out better than I could have ever imagined so i mean taylor could probably shed some of his inspirations for the story I'll, i'd let him do that but mainly it just had to do with you know the personalities that would have been involved in the film because uh you know if it wasn't them i i probably would have just passed again and right you know whatever yeah. so
2: what well, what was it specifically after meeting <clears throat> taylor and, and his crew that you knew that these are the guys and like taylor you too like how did all this opportunity come for both of you like How did you hear about this opportunity, Taylor? And and Rich, how did you decide after getting all these offers from other people, especially like bigger bigger broadcast companies, and then meeting Taylor and his crew, and you're like, these are the guys I want to go to. How did both of you guys, how did that that team ended up forming?
3: Well, the first thing I did was I showed him – Uh, my documentary from uh, Mohawk College in our final year. Uh, For those of you who don't know, for for those of you who don't know, the first documentary film I ever made was with Christian, who's here uh, on the panel. And uh, him and I both uh, were in the same class together at Mohawk in journalism. And, you know, my inspiration for that was, it's funny, like I, I joke that, you know, I showed that, but that was the first time I like, it changed my focus as to how, what journalism could be in something that I really, really enjoyed. And, um, you know, it's been a, a wild career path since then. But, you know, the biggest thing is like when I talked to, to Rich um, and we had some mutual friends and, and got connected that way, but I've been, I've been following, I'm a big hockey fan and um, you know, I've been following his story for years when he first, when he was in Nashville, he did the player's tribune article and then it was really when he did the, the piece in The Athletic that his brother wrote. That's really the inspiration for the film. So anyone who's, who's listening or watching this, I, I really encourage them as a, as a preamble or a preface to watching the film or something you could consume after if you really enjoyed it, you know, go on to The Athletic and, and, and read Matt Clune's story. It's actually a free article because, you know, we know how much we love the paywall. But it's a free <laughs> article on The Athletic. And um, you'll see a lot of the inspiration there for the film comes from that. Uh, the whole, uh, the drive, quote unquote, um, and how that uh, ebbs and flows throughout the story. Uh, that was really inspired from his, uh, from that article I had, uh, I had read. And, you know, so we, we, we got connected through some mutual friends and I threw it out to him. I said, man, is this something that you'd want to do. And, and, you know, after we spent, you know, probably a month getting to know each other, he said, all right, let's do this. And uh, you know, the rest was kind of history. And, and, and for me, my biggest inspiration was I, and what my goal was, and I hope this is what was achieved. um, The biggest thing for me is I wanted to tell a story of redemption and overcoming the odds and a story of true resilience uh, about a guy who just so happens to be a hockey player. I didn't want it to be a story about a hockey player who got clean and, you know, he battled his, you know, I, I there's a lot of those stories out there. And don't get me wrong, I eat them up. I'm a huge fan and I, I love watching them. Um, but our approach was definitely to make this a human story that anyone, regardless of if they like sports in general, never mind hockey, could be something they could consume. So that was really our goal.
0: Yeah, it's uh, like you're absolutely right. Right. When you say it's a human interest story compared to like telling the story of a sports guy, that's exactly what it felt like. And I sent it to a couple of buddies and I was like, Hey guys, go check this out. And like half of them, I sent it to weren't hockey fans. And they're like, Holy shit. Like what a story. This is incredible. Uh, which leads me rich. I have a question for you here. Your former coach. This is the one quote that really stood out to me. He said, you're going to be just a statistic years later. How crazy is it to look back on that? Like that's such that's such an like a big sentence to say to a hockey player or a human being. Like, you're going to just be a statistic. Like, looking back on that, how do you feel now about it?
1: Well, I, I mean, he wasn't wrong. Uh, this Now, you know, this man who said that, Marty Williamson, was my head coach in Barry, um, he had tried a number of ways to get through to me. And, you know, luckily for me, I had the opportunity to make amends to him um in person down the road and he 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 was very uh receptive and forgiving and understanding. So when he said that um like I said in the film for those who have seen it I was like I know I'm gonna be one of those players or I'm gonna be one of those human beings that uh you know they're gonna talk about me once a year. I'm gonna be dead. That's the and that's the hard truth you know what i mean like i think sometimes too in today's day and age it's which i i love is it's very um you know people are talking more about mental illness and addiction and you know more people are coming out and it's it's the stigma is starting to go away but the one thing i will say is is that you know when i make a statement like i'm a drug addict and an alcoholic and suffer from mental illness when I get specific about things, then people start to go, you know what I mean? I'm like, no, I'm not saying these things because it's cool. It's like, the reality is, is that these are the things that happen. People die and he was not wrong. And I, uh, I'm grateful for the, for, 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 you know, the people that had tried to get through to me over time. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just something I wasn't ready to hear, I wasn't, I I, I mean, it fell on deaf ears and, you know, he, he's a good man and he was trying his best to, you know, get through to me and, and, and really, you know, spell out the road I was going down. And, um, I was just trying to paint a picture in the interview of where my head was at. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that, uh, you know, that's just the hard truth. And that's, you know, when people die and when people, the things that the disease can take you to different places, I mean, it breaks my heart, but that's, this is, this is what happens.
2: And now now Rich, like how you've opened up throughout your career and you continue to help people with, with your past experiences and what you've been through. I know that there's some people out there that, aren't as confident in coming forward and sharing their story or even just saying that they have an addiction or have a problem type of thing. Um, What would you say to those people that maybe are afraid to come forward or don't feel the confidence to come forward and and talk about their own addiction? What would you kind of give them as advice to kind of help them out?
1: If they're happy, don't talk about it. I mean, you know, uh, the, um, I think that, you know, I've been very, um, I've been very, you know, public and forward, but there are some things that, you know, I'll keep to myself because, you know, we all, we all have our own lives. And I think that there, there's no need to be completely, um, public about everything, but, you know, I think when people are ready and they're, and it feels right to do it, if not live your life. I mean, these are, I think that there's a two there's kind of two twofold it's twofold when I think about why do i why am I public about this aspect of my life? Um, and And the truth is, is like there's a self-preservation that I have of saying that I'm an addict and an alcoholic because people have no choice but to either respect that boundary or just not associate with me. and And that's the truth. like i I can't help anybody unless I take care of myself and um then the other part is is i generally i've benefited from others talking publicly so i know the effect that it can have on people and i have seen the effect that you know that i've had on people and it's so it's like it goes hand in hand like if i you know if i fill someone else's cup in turn mine will get filled but i wouldn't put any pressure on anybody to do anything they don't want to you know if it feels right then do it if not you know i'm I, i totally respect people's decision to you know keep things to themselves and so
0: earlier in the documentary a lot of it focuses on like your growing up whether it's as a kid with your brothers with your dad kind of thing um, and then you talk about what's going on in like your early let's say 10 to 18 range do you think it's a good idea for kids in that range to see, like, a sports psychologist or a regular psychologist if they're, like, going to take pro sports seriously, if they're at that high level of play, like, if they're doing stuff like select or playing, like, major junior, stuff like that?
1: Um, let me – now, I think that there will be kids that are in – were in the same positions that I was in. And I think that um I think that it could be beneficial to see a sports psychologist or a psychologist of any time if you have the means and you know the person is open to it. Um but at the same time too, there is something to be said for um kids are so young at that age right like how how, how do they know they're not processing right. i think a lot of it has is a lot of it is on the parents to to really get involved in their children's lives and be present for them and be attentive and you know one little thing of just authentically checking in on your kids can go such a long way and then you know if, if then eventually the if there is that open line of communication and non-judgment and the, and the child feels like they can trust their parents, then they can get them into therapy or some sort of like coaching, uh, scenarios. So I would say that's probably how I would approach that question.
0: Nick, I think you had a great question. We were talking about a couple of days ago. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, especially, uh, you know, everything's always ingrained in like, hockey especially if you're a player like your whole life is just directed into that one space um i always wanted to know like when do you start to mentally prepare for life outside of hockey and kind of like what's that process like because you know you spend such a long time just ingrained in all that all the time
1: well i think i think that truthfully i don't think i would have gotten as far as i did if i was constantly um questioning what I'm going to do after hockey. I think that I really needed to have an approach early on that there was no plan B. That's just my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. I'm a very good player in my own age group of my city growing up. And then as I moved through the ranks, and continue to play against more talented players, I had to adapt, change my approach, and yeah. clearly adapted a more physical, uh, abrasive approach and did what I had to do to get to that level. But um, I needed to not have a plan B for a long time. And I'm not going to sit here and tell a kid that, that that's a bad mentality. I'm, I think I've shown that I have tons of interests outside of the game. But at the same time, too, I'm, I don't think that a life dedicated to hockey is a bad life. I think it's the best thing in the world. (laughs) So I would encourage young kids to cultivate hobbies and interests outside of if they want to be a professional, that's a very, you know, you have to take it very serious. I think cultivating hobbies and passions outside of that. But it might be a little bit, um, I don't know if everyone would agree with me, but don't have a plan B for a while. And then you know, around the time I was 25, 26 is when I established myself in the NHL. I started to, you know, in my mind, started to build a plan. So I would say probably seven or eight years ago, I've begun to, you know, really put things in place and, you know, whether I play another year or two or or if I don't, if I stop today, like I I have an idea of what I'm going to do, but I would, I would encourage kids to, um, you know, just go for it and achieve their dreams, and then follow along the way. I mean, I think a conversation Taylor and I had early on was just about that very question. I mean, mm-hmm. he taught. I think something Tay you could probably say that interest um, me about like you were drawn to me is because I had those interests in acting and and writing and and film.
3: Yeah, that was a big thing for me in in telling this story. First of all. Rich doesn't talk like a typical hockey player. You know, he's not given the, oh, yeah, you know, got to get pucks in deep here, guys. Look at bang pucks off the window. Here we go. Um, you know, he doesn't talk like that. He's like, he, he's very real and I think very relatable. So that was one fac- a facet of it. And then the other facet was the fact that he has really, really inter- uh, interesting hobbies and things he likes to do off the ice, uh, chiefly his acting career, his uh, interest in philosophy and religion, uh, some of the, the cool things he's done in the media over the years, it was something that I felt like gave him a more human element that people could uh, relate to. Uh,
0: speaking of acting, I wanna know how you got into acting, cause a uh, long time ago, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid and that dream is long gone. So what made you get, uh, think about getting into that now?
1: I just wanted to, I, I, (laughs) I, I, no, I mean, it it sounds like a a simple answer and I could probably go on for 20 minutes about the, you know, the motivations behind it, like a great, you know, dramatic, passionate actor would (laughs) and and sell it as if I'm doing this honorable life or death craft.
3: You should tell them about the, 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 the passion that you had to find within yourself at your, uh, photo shoot the other day when you were trying on sweatpants for eight hours and they kept adjusting it a little bit hey i didn't say who it was with or anything
1: <laughs> that's a secret that's for, that's for that's for another time but what i will say is, no no no. in all seriousness this like i shared in the film I, I did want to i you know i was I, I took private art classes when i was a kid uh i had you know i was i i was one of those kids that clearly played every sport and 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 felt a little bit you know disconnected from my fellow athletes because and probably got teased a little bit about it because I was in I was in art art and I and I loved art and I remember wanting to take drama in uh, in high school but um I just wasn't secure enough with myself because I was I mean I did get made fun of for it but it, it's just I just didn't have the uh, ability to you know, do what I truly wanted to do from a young age. My experience was that I have had to really grow and mature over time and become um, more independent. And, you know, at 20 at 25, 26 years old, I had kept talking about it with my brother, Matt. And he basically just called me out. He's like, dude, just go to an acting class, like stop talking about it. And it started, I was living in uh, after my first season in Nashville, Matt and I, rented an apartment in uh, LA he was working for a producer in studio city and we we you know we rented an apartment together for about four months and that was my first experience of um acting classes I was in like four acting four acting classes a week I almost retired from hockey because I was so yeah well I got bought out by the predators and I was you know being a pouty little self-absorbed baby and thought the world was out to get me and I didn't want to continue to You know, the world wasn't fair. And I'm like, I'm going to quit and become an actor, like, very dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I didn't because my my time here in Toronto has just been amazing. But, um, yeah, I just started going to a class. There's a teacher called, his name's John Homa. And, uh, (coughs) sorry. And, um, yeah, I just started from there and fell in love with it.
2: And now, Rich, you mentioned your time in Toronto. You really were brought in. And and you are a true leader to a lot of those guys that you, that grew up around you on the Marlies. Um, how is just even being part of like the Phase One and Two part of the Leafs? Like, how is that compared to any other type of like training camp you've been with, or any any time you've been at practice or the summer like building up to the season? How does Phase One and Two? What what's going on now? How does that differ from everything else?
1: What What was that experience like?
2: Yeah um
1: yeah so phase two uh what it was it was awesome i mean clearly like the rest of the world i was sitting at home doing you know just hanging out not not being able to work and um sheldon sheldon had offered up that i come train and they would see what they could do as far as me being eligible and uh because i'm I'm on an American hockey league contract, not signed with the Maple Leafs. And, um, it was, it was interesting, man. It was like small groups of six players and you would show up and you would do a swab, a nasal swab test at the door. And then, uh, they'd check your temperature and it was like (laughs) the whole, it was just, it was a little bit eerie at first, right? You walk up to the MasterCard center and, uh, there's a, a lot of security, a lot more security than normal. Like the numbers were lower, Mm -hmm. but they were literally at the door. Like you couldn't get in if you weren't, if you're not on the list, you're not getting in. (laughs) And uh, we would come and you'd have to walk in and you'd have 45 minutes to work out and then change. And then we'd have an hour ice and it was like, go home. You know, (laughs) I mean, the great part about playing any sport is like that, you know, the moments when you're not training, you're just sitting around like having a coffee, listening to music and you're all just hanging out in the dressing room and you have those, it's like that sort of escape from reality. Um, and, and not to say we didn't have a couple minutes of that when we were getting ready, but not really. So it was like, you know, very, uh, very structured. Um, nobody got, you don't get too close, like socially distanced within the building. Which was interesting right because we're all covid free Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) but uh as you know with the nature of this virus it's very unpredictable um and then the on ice sessions were very hard so probably the hardest and i I don't know if that's because of the layoff and coming off the layoff but the numbers were short like the leafs have just been working hard uh they've been they've been training hard so they looked good against montreal and i think Their commitment to phase two is probably going to go a long way in their playoff run
3: you were on the ice every day with uh nick robertson who's quite who's i think gonna turn some heads eh
1: yeah yeah that was my first kind of exposure to nick uh up close he was in my small group and um obviously i'd seen him at training camp you know year or two previous but uh it's really hard to get a gauge on someone um and I had heard that he was you know very intense and but it uh, might yeah I mean I was extremely impressed and clearly you know I guess I do have a good eye because now he's made the maple leaf
0: (laughs) so are you expecting a shout out as soon as he scores his first (laughs) one
1: no 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 no. no 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 No, the truth is, is he woke me up. Like I got to this phase two thing and this kid's on the ice and every pass is like the hardest pass he's ever passed. His shot is heavy. For a kid who's, you know, he's not a huge player. Yeah. But he's got this internal power um, and strength and he's clearly worked at his shot. And I was like, oh, time to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always, no, it was cool being able to train with him and, you know, I, I'm, I was really impressed with him.
0: Uh, your time with the Marlies, is there anything that really stands out during that Calder Cup run?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the first round, for just to take you back into that, so the first round in the American League is very similar to this first play-in play round that the, uh, that the Leafs and a number of other teams are about to go into, best of five. So it's really like a sprint out of the gate. And um, we're playing Utica Comets, their Vancouver's farm team. And uh, for anyone who hasn't been to Utica, New York, they have, in all honesty, it's one of the most intense buildings to play in in the American League that I've ever seen. They've got this very small, like, intimate auditorium, almost like the War Memorial in Slap And they have this, like, no, like, they have this gnarly fan base that uh, – it's like they're on top of the players, and they're just Utica – you, and wow. you go in there, so we 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 waxed them pretty good the first two games, <laughs> uh, in Toronto, and I think we got ahead of ourselves. We were like, "Oh, we're gonna go into Utica and and, and smash them out and win three nothing," and they won the the next two games in Utica. Like, and it was like it was one of the most. It was one of the most like, when you get into those small barns, and that energy starts to go. It was like whoa like they were they were it was it was intense and then you know fortunately we won game five and then fast we swept the next two series but fast forward to game seven in Toronto versus Austin you know the series was tied and uh they came out and hit two posts within the first five minutes and you know I wasn't playing I was in the stands and I'm sitting there and I'm like I started biting my nails again and Nervous wreck obviously because I'm, I'm helpless, right? I can't do anything. Yeah. And then uh, something just clicked and we went up five nothing and that so the Rico a little bit bigger than the, uh, the The arena in Utica and it was packed like Toronto just like came out and it was You know, it was it was like the most beautiful thing to see like Toronto Toronto fan base coming into like the Rico and I don't know the exact capacity but, like, we went up one, two, three, four. And, I like, the building, You it, like, it, I thought the building was going to pop off. It was nuts. It was crazy. They actually did score a goal that if you go back and watch it, it didn't even cross the goal line. It was the most insane thing. It was, like, a wrap around, and the guy jammed at Sparksy's pad, and it didn't even go over the goal line, and they counted it. I was in the stands, like, ready to throw my chair on the ice. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm, like – the The video, re- like, go watch it. I mean, unless I'm completely imagining all this, which has happened before, um, they didn't score, so it should have been a it should have been a shutout for Sparksy, and then just yeah, the, it was nuts. And then we rented out Real Sports after, and you know, it was just the whole that whole energy of Game Seven. Obviously, you know, having it could have gone either way, and then just blowing them out was like it was just awesome to be there. What was it like lifting the collar Cub? What was that moment like for you? Um, I don't know if you've seen me in the gym. It was pretty light and pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm, no, 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 no. I got to, you know, I got to, I got to. It might be a little heavy for me, but. I, I, haven't, listen, I, really haven't, nice. I haven't transcended, I haven't transcended my ego completely. I keep it just kind of like in my pocket for, 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 <laughs> but, um, Truth, truthfully like I didn't I didn't play a game in the playoffs I was you know I I, I warmed up a lot and if guys were injured I may or may not have got in and uh you know that was just I had seen the improvement in my in my maturity level being able to accept that you know 13th spot role especially you know in the American League but when Ben Smith handed me the cup second um you know I was obviously I would, I didn't expect it. You know what I mean? Like I obviously I'm an older guy with a lot of experience, but you know, he made it kind of a point to give it to me second. And uh, it literally was probably the best moment in my hockey career and just to, you know, hold it up and uh, yeah. I mean, it, it made all the um, I've said this before, but like, I'll, I'll be honest, like hockey's very love, hate for me. Uh, it's. I've had to push my body and you know I take the game home I've taken the game home with me since I was six years old every night so it just made all those it just made all of that worth it
0: Gentlemen any final questions for these two fellas?
1: I don't know these are so in-depth answers I don't want
3: to <laughs> take more of their time the one, thing, the,
1: one, the one thing that I will say it was like kind of you talked about how the film unfolds earlier. And the one, the one thing that I, you know, the reason why I knew that Taylor and, and Harris had such, you know, um, good filmmaking style and the choice that they made in the beginning to come out, just, you know, no messing around in the film. Like if you watch it, it's like, unless there's a 10, 10 story, Netflix documentary, I, I don't care who the personality is. I'm not sitting there for longer than an hour to watch it, let alone listen to me. So, but in the film, like the choice to come out and not really get into any backstory and just get right into it and floor it right away and there really isn't any moments in the film where where the where they let off the gas. So, you know, and that's that's I knew that you know i'd made the right choice to explore this with them and you know when i talk about this film like it's our film like i and i really mean that i mean the 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 love and the attention and the passion that the film production team put into this i'm just you know don't get too flattered but i'm really excited to see what these guys do in the future because they're going to continue to tell story after story you know whether it's documentary or 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 um you know, fictional stories that movies tell. They just have a, they just have a great style. And uh, I was really fortunate to work with them.
0: Yeah. I think one of the biggest things when I started watching the documentary, like you were saying, is that it just, it goes. There's no like, hey, we're going to start from the very beginning. There's no like necessary big timeline that you're trying to follow. It just feels like you're having a conversation with you for the whole like 49, 50 minutes. And like you said, I have a tough time watching things that are like an hour long, but for this, I was like more like, I, I like, there's just yeah. so much. And just thank you so much for sharing your story.
1: Yeah. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Glad you guys yeah. liked
0: it. Yeah, oh it's man. Incredible
1: <laughs> we really you, did, yeah. You and
0: the crew did a fantastic job. Like and
1: the and the, uh, I will say the, you know, I, I didn't really, I think it's hard to expect things, right. The film is about me and it's, You know, like I'm uncomfortable as it is talking about myself, but the feedback that we've gotten um, from the people that have, you know, got to see it on Sportsnet here in Canada and then um, have, have purchased it on iTunes. It's literally blown me away. Uh, So I'm so grateful for everybody who's given feedback and supported the film. And um, ultimately, hopefully it, it can, can help some people along the way. And, uh, yeah.
2: We're also
3: going to, uh, if anyone watches it on iTunes, uh, or on any of the Apple products, Apple TV, um, we're going to be donating a portion of the proceeds to, uh, mental health charities and to, uh, and to COVID relief. Uh, you know, so it's not just, uh, you know, for us, it's not just a money grab. We want to both, you know, stick to our word and, and be true to the to the message which is helping other people and uh so anyone who does you know spend the five bucks or whatever it is uh to rent it uh they can feel good knowing that a portion of that's going to a good cause
0: and if you guys haven't seen it go on to itunes go on to apple music whatever it is where you need to get this it's hi my name is dicky it's number one on itunes for a reason you go into it doesn't matter if you're a hockey fan doesn't matter if you're not a sports fan as a human being if you just go watch this film it's going to leave a message with you and it's going to hopefully impact those who need to hear the message. Rich, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. For Christian Marin, Nicholas Andrade, my name's Matt Best. This is the Coast to Coast Podcast. We'll catch you next time.
3: Some killer queen, all right. Now I'm running and I can't stop anywhere I go. I think about it every day and night I can't let go. Man, I'm never the same. We were shotgun lovers, I'm a shotgun running away. So
0: come a little closer
3: the bones out from the road those endless nights that we traveled, we stole you let
0: your clothes fall to the floor and lit a fire all the way to the moon and now I'm running